Romans chapter 5. And so we are going to pick up in verse 12, uh, and we are going to go for just a little bit here. Um, it was so great to spend some time in prayer and praise, and so I'm so thankful for that time we got to spend together. And so uh, we've got about, uh, let's see, 17 minutes before 7. And so uh, we'll go through some of this here, and then whatever we don't get to, we'll finish up next week. And so uh, we covered the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 5. And we gave you that list. We walked through that list of things, the kind of the blessings, the things that come from being justified by faith. Uh, Romans 5.1, I'm going to read it just to kind of review what we talked about last week. And to me, again, I think it's one of the most powerful, but yet also one of the most calming verses in the book of Romans. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we said that that peace is an amazing reality because before we were justified by faith and have peace, what did we have before that in our natural state with God? How did God view us in our natural state? Okay, we considered him our enemy, right? And he, he was ours, okay? Or we were his, rather. We were enemies of God. How else did God view us in our natural state apart from Christ? We're enemies of God. What's that? Well, our good works are seen as filthy rags apart from Christ, and we try to show our works through, or try to show our faithfulness and our righteousness through our works. Okay, we're sinful. Absolutely. What are we worthy of? We're worthy of death and wrath, separation from God for all eternity, right? We said it before. The punishment, or the, the, the problem with sin and the issue that sin led to was division, right? Division between husband and wife, Adam and Eve, right? Division between humanity and the animal world, right? Hey, take care of this world that I'm giving you. Manage this world. Manage this creation, which included the animal kingdom. And instead, because of our sin, now we have to slaughter one of these animals to cover our sin. There's division there now. It wasn't like that before the fall, right? We didn't have to slaughter an animal to cover our sin. No, we, the, Adam and Eve cared for the animals. They cared for them. So we see division there. We see division between us and God. And what I said before is still true. If I am divided from God in my sin, and then I die in that sin, the division that God continues to hold against me and places me in a place called hell is not God being mean or vindictive or vengeful. It's God allowing the same division that existed in this life to continue all the way through eternity. We were already divided from God. It's not like we die and then God divides him, us from him. We're already separated from God. That just carries over into eternity if I die in my sin apart from Christ. And so the fact that we now have peace with that God, we don't have to worry or fear his wrath being poured out on us because we are justified. And what did we say justified men? I gave you two things that justified could mean. What was one of the things that I said justified speaks to? Playing off that word, justified. Okay, one is just as if I've never sinned. What's the other thing I talked about? Just as if I've always obeyed, right? When I'm justified by faith, it's just as if I've never sinned. That's good. But even better is because of Christ's sinlessness in this life, when he lived his life, he was sinless. That sinless life is given to me. It's credited to me. That's why it's so important that the gospel is, yes, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it's also the sinless life of Christ. We can't forget that part. He was sinless in this life, 
died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. That sinless life is imputed to me as well as his sacrificial death on the cross and his rising again. And so these things all bring peace. When I go from enemy to son or daughter, that brings peace. I fear God, not don't condemn me fear, but I fear God as a a child reveres and honors and fears their father. It's a whole different fear. So we pick up in verse 12. And uh, the next section here is really verses 12 through 21. And so we are going to read the whole chat or the whole rest of the chapter. And then we'll kind of go back and kind of break it up. And so I'm going to need a couple volunteers. I think we'll do, uh, I think we'll do like, we'll do two volunteers. I think that'd be good. And so verses 12 through maybe 16, 12 through 16, if I can get a volunteer to read that. Okay, Kelsey. And then 17 through 21. Volunteer for that. Mary, awesome. So 12 through 16, Kelsey, and then 17 through 21, Mary. So go ahead, Kelsey. Sure. Similitude, yes. Okay, so there is a lot in here, obviously. And we're going to kind of break it down a little bit and kind of simplify some of this too so we can kind of get a basic understanding of what Paul is talking about here. Uh, The first thing in your notes there that I want to point out is that a note to make is uh, that obviously Paul is speaking of Christ as a real person, correct? Jesus Christ is a real person, not a figurative person. This would mean, in Paul's mind, the person of Adam was a real person, Also, Paul speaks of sin entering with Adam, which would mean the account in Genesis 3 is historical, not allegorical. The account of Genesis, the creation with Adam being a literal human being. There are some, even in the church, that would say that Adam wasn't a real person. He just represented humanity, meaning he was just a figure, like a figurative expression of humanity as a whole. That Adam wasn't a real human being, flesh and blood. 
that Eve wasn't really a real woman, flesh and blood. They were just figurative. It was, it was all illustrative. The problem is that Paul, along with Jesus Christ in the Gospels, when Jesus was asked about marriage, what did he go back to in his example of what marriage should be? What, go ahead. Yes, he went to Adam and Eve. He said, just like this, this is what I'm going to refer to. So if Jesus referenced it as seemingly historical, Paul references not only Adam and Eve or Adam, but also what? The fall as being historical. Then again, we would have to note that we too, we cannot take it in any other way than the author intended it to be taken. And if the author is intending it as historical, we must receive it as historical, not allegorical. The problem is that we see things in Genesis that our modern day science says, oh, that's impossible. But if we took the Bible, think about this for a minute. If we took the Bible and we took out everything that modern science says cannot happen, what would we be left with? Not much. A pamphlet. If we went by modern science, would Jesus Christ have risen from the dead? Lazarus. Any miracle where Jesus violated the laws of physics? I mean, seemingly as far as we understand them. No. So again, we have to be careful here. We need to take what Scripture says as Scripture and say, if this is what the author intended it to mean, and this is what it seems to be referenced as throughout Scripture, we too have to take it that way. Um, Again, so moving on here. Paul opens up the comparison between the first Adam and Christ or the second Adam. He refers to kind of this idea of the first Adam and the second Adam. Paul already establishes the point that Adam is a type of Christ in 1 Corinthians 15.45. And so I'm not going to turn there, but it's referenced in your notes, I believe. Um, So you have that to look up. Uh, the, the importance of this is the reason I say already establishes is 1 Corinthians was written before the book of Romans. First, so 1 Corinthians was written, then the book of Romans was written. So in 1 Corinthians 15.45, Paul says, And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Now that word quickening, what does that sound like? Another passage? Where do we read about the quickening? Where does that come from? Ephesians chapter 2, right? And who does the quickening in Ephesians 2? Jesus Christ, right? He makes us alive. Isn't that what Paul says? We were dead in our trespasses and sin, and it's Jesus Christ who quickened us or made us alive. So in 1 Corinthians, when he uses this term, the quickening spirit, that one that was made, the quickening spirit, who's he referring to? Jesus Christ, who would be then the second Adam. Um, Another translation says it this way. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. A life-giving spirit. That's the English standard, the way that they translate that verse. So here we see this comparison that Paul's using. There's the first Adam and there's the second Adam, or Jesus Christ. Now, the reason he's using this illustration is because Adam was the representative of humanity, right? He was representative of of humankind. Jesus comes along and he now, as our representative, goes before the Father. He's our mediator. And so in a similar way, he represents us before the Father. Here we also discover that our condemnation flows from Adam, but our justification flows from Christ. If in Adam all are condemned, then in Christ all who believe all receive justification. There's a couple of verses in this passage in Romans 5 that if you don't understand where we're at in the book of Romans, you can get really confused, right? I'll read it. I'll look at one of the examples here. 
Um, where are we at here? Verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So if we're not careful here, how could I misinterpret that? Okay, if we're all sinners in Adam, then Christ came and gave his life on the cross. Now all are made righteous. All are going to go to heaven because all are righteous, just like all were sinful and condemned in Adam. But if we, if we don't understand the context of the book, then we're going to make that mistake. Or we'll be confused and say, well, wait a minute, who's the all here? So because Romans 5 follows Romans 1, 2, 3, and 4, who are the all that are justified? Those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's been established. The Gentiles, the Jews, the world, guilty before God. Romans 3, Romans 4, all about justification through Christ. Now we get to Romans 5, verse 1. We read it already. Therefore, being justified by faith, those that are justified by faith in Christ, we now have peace. Then you get to the part where we just read in verse 18 that the condemnation is upon all of us naturally. The justification is given to those who have received and believed by faith in Christ. So again, we have to make sure we keep that in understanding. This is why context is so vital. Understanding what's going on before, what's going on after, it keeps us from taking a verse out of context and just applying it wherever we want. Because if I just told you that verse, well, the Bible says all are righteous in Christ, and I quoted you Romans 5.18, it sounds good, right? It sounds believable. Okay, well, you gave me a Bible verse that must be in there. Here's the other thing. Is that what the verse says? Well, it kind of says that. It says all. So again, if you're not careful, we can really be led astray in misunderstanding and misapplying these verses, these understandings in Scripture. Um, so we also see, and this is in your notes as well, I believe, uh, we see six contrasts in this passage. We see six contrasts in this passage. So the six would be Adam and Christ, disobedience, obedience, sin and righteousness, law and grace, condemnation, justification, death, and life. We see these kind of things all throughout this passage going back and forth. What we want to really note from this is when Adam was tempted and tried, what was the situation like when Adam was tempted and tried? When the first Adam was tempted, well, we throw Eve in there too. When Eve was tempted, what was the, what was the setting that they were tempted in? What, what, what was it like around them? Perfection, beautiful, paradise, right? We could use that word. How about their, how about their needs or their wants? What, what, what did they need? Okay, if they wanted something, what could they do? Just take it or ask for it, right? So they were tempted in an environment where everything was provided to them. Everything was good. When we look at the setting that Adam was tempted and everything was perfect, right? He had want of nothing. He had need of nothing. If he wanted it, he asks of the Father. The Father probably would have provided it or already did provide it. When Christ was tempted... In the, by Satan, what was his surroundings like? What was Christ's surroundings when he was tempted while on planet Earth? What's that? Okay, wicked people all around. Think about Satan, when Satan tempted him, what was the surroundings? He was out in the what? In the wilderness, right? He was hungry, right? How many days? 
40 days fasting in a wilderness, surrounded by all of this, okay? Left the realms of glory, came to this place, okay? It's, an, it's, like, a, it's like a routine. This is amazing. This is awesome. It's like a comedy act. I tell you what, I, I think so. I think they're like out in the hallway like, okay, now you go. Okay, now you go. Okay, now you go. All right. I know, yeah, we should have a baptism service. There you go. When you see this, though, this is the point I want to make. That when you understand that when Jesus was tempted, his surroundings were horrible. Everything was not perfect. Everything was not right. When Adam was tempted, everything was perfect. Yet who gave in to the temptation? Who failed the temptation? Adam failed. But yet Jesus, even though the surroundings were not perfect, even so, it wasn't a paradise. He was able... This is amazing. Like, I don't know what's going on tonight. I really don't know. I'm going to have to talk to the producer of the play because I don't know what's going on tonight. Um, yeah, I, I was expecting her to walk across the back there and just kind of, you know, just go that way. So we've derailed. This has gone off the, ra- off the rails. Um, the point of that, what I'm trying to say is when we understand that Christ had literally suffered loss of everything, no food, no water. Everything was different. Everything was broken. All around him was sinful. Yet he remained true. He stayed faithful. And he endured the temptation that Adam could not endure. He endured the temptation to remain faithful to the Father. And so when you see these parallels and these contrasts here in Romans 5, we need to note that Jesus and Adam both came to do the same thing. Both came to represent humanity and were created to do so, or came to do so. But yet Adam failed. Jesus was faithful. Jesus remained true. What's that? That's all right. I don't, why didn't Rick grab all of them? I mean, he probably couldn't carry them. They were too heavy. Okay. So, all right. So where are we at here in the notes? Okay. So we're going to, no, we're going to get some more meat in here because this is silly. Okay. So let's move on. So we also see uh, four rulers as well in this passage. Okay, so four different rulers in this passage. And I love seeing the progression here. I love seeing the progression here. First thing we see is that death reigned. Then we see sin reigned, right? And, And this was read to us. Then we understand that grace reigns, right? Where sin does abound, grace does what? much more abound, or it's, it's overwhelming how much more grace abounds. When sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And then ultimately, we shall reign. So death reigned, sin reigned, grace reigns, we shall reign. And so when you see these rulers kind of play out, uh, it's amazing to see the blessings of the justification by faith we started with in chapter 5, verse 1. Just as the disobedience of Adam was far-reaching in its effects, so is the work of Christ in its ability to redeem and save those under Adam's disobedience. The disobedience of Adam was far-reaching. I mean, it affects us today. It affects our world today. But just as Adam's disobedience was far-reaching, so Christ's obedience and his faithfulness to the Father is far-reaching. Uh, even in, in the New Testament, it says that, that Christ can reach those who are far way off or are far off. Right? He can reach them. There's no distance too great for his grace to cover. The work of Christ is not only as far-reaching, it is actually greater. It is not only as far-reaching, it is greater. Three times Paul tells us that much more the grace of God, or much more abundance of grace, or and grace did much more abound. 
Now, when you read this passage, if you're focused on the wrong part of it, you'll think, man, this is really discouraging. Adam disobeyed, and there was all this judgment and condemnation. But step back and look at it from the other way, that Paul reminds us much more the grace of God, much more the abundance of grace, and ultimately, and grace did much more abound. Paul wants us to know that, yes, in Adam we were under a curse. In Adam we were fallen victim to his disobedience. But now in Christ we are set free. We are new creatures. Warren Worsby said it this way. The Old Testament is the book of the generation of Adam. And we get that from Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, which is one of the first genealogies we read of in Genesis. But I love what he says here. The Old Testament is the book of the generations of Adam, and it ends with a curse. Then he says this. The New Testament is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, and it ends with no more curse. I love that. The Old Testament is the book of generations of Adam, and it ends with a curse. The New Testament is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, and it ends with no more curse. Man, we are set for heaven. We are set for his glory. And one day we will leave these bodies and the remains of what this flesh does to us, and we will be with him. We will be like him. We cannot help being in Adam, because this is what we are born into in this life. We can, however, make a choice about if we remain in Adam. You can experience a second birth and become a new creation, no longer being tied to the sin of Adam, but born again, John chapter 3, and being placed in Christ. This chapter began with a powerful word, therefore. I pray and hope that we all will realize that we are living in the therefore of justification through faith in Christ. The benefits are great and many. We are living in the therefore of Jesus Christ. Because Christ came, gave himself for us, we believed on him and trusted in him. Therefore, we are new creatures, right? Old things are passed away. All things will become new. We receive all the many blessings of being in Christ. We are born in Adam, but through Christ, we are born again in salvation, through salvation in justification. And so amazing realities that we get to experience just in one simple chapter of the book of Romans. Um, I do want to take just a moment. If anyone has any questions or comments about chapter 5, I know I kind of really rushed through that last part, um, but I want to kind of summarize that, and then we can even open it up even more next week. Uh, I'll open up with just a few more questions and times like that. Uh, But does anyone have any questions or comments about Romans 5, what we talked about tonight, this idea of Adam and then Christ coming and fulfilling? Questions or comments? All right. Well, let's do this. We'll go ahead and pray, and then I want to share just a little bit with you about something else, and then we'll kind of get you, let you guys get out of here. All right, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. And Lord, we thank you for your word. I know, Lord, that um, there's so much in this passage, and I pray that we'll go home and we'll even unpack this more in our personal private time, that we'll spend time with you this week. And really honestly ask you to reveal to us the glory that is in Christ. The the beauty that is in our Savior. To know that we are living in the therefore of salvation. That we are on this side of being justified by faith. That we can walk in the newness of this life that you've given to us. Father, I pray that as the enemy tries to remind us of our past mistakes. The enemy tries to remind us of who we used to be. Our flesh tries to convince us that that temptation is worth giving into. I pray that we would know that we are new creatures. That we don't have to give into those things. Lord, as we move into the next 
chapter of Romans, chapter 6, which spends so much time reminding us of who we are in Christ. I pray that we would allow you, by the working of your Holy Spirit, to remind us this week, to affirm in our lives this week, that you are greater. Your grace is greater. And where we think sin abounds, your grace much more abounds. And so when we feel tired and weary of this world, when we're in the wilderness feeling like we're being tempted, and everywhere around us it just seems like there's wants and need that we think if we give into this, it'll fulfill something in us because we just want so bad. I pray that we would know that your grace is sufficient and can meet all of our needs and has met all of our needs, that you are the living water, that you are the bread of life, and that everything we need is satisfied in the personal work of Jesus Christ, and we can be joyful in that, that we can take pleasure in the fullness of our God. And so thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy. And we pray that you would be glorified in all these things. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.